11 a.m. What's going on? Give Jesus all the praise this morning. Tell you what, uh, man, what a great day. Hasn't it been an amazing day? Um, This week, we've done, this is the third time we've done church today. This is insane. Um, This is literally insane. And uh, I promise to give you all I got. All right, so um, it's going to be so, so good. Well, welcome to the Refuge Church. My name is Adam Harold. My adorable wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege of leading this church called The Refuge. We do it together. We are a team. Um, Any ladies in the house go to lady camp this week? Was that, did you guys have fun? A a couple of them. I have asked every service so far, and every service had someone at ladies camp. I hope you had a great, great time. The better question is, Fellas, did you survive? Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> His wife didn't even go to lady camp, and he survived. Uh, the, the more important question is, did the kids survive, right? Did the kids survive? They, they survived, and uh, I'm so, so thankful. Uh, fellas, our time is coming, I promise. We'll do a men's camp at some point, but um, we got to get it on the calendar and all that stuff. So um, today... With the excitement of going to three services, I thought that it would be appropriate to begin a series that's based around my favorite Bible story because it's all about me, right? No, that's, that's not why. But, but because um, I've taught on it before, but I've never done a series on it. And so I thought, you know, what better time than to do a series on the story of the prodigal son like right now. And so... Um, This morning, we're starting a series that I'm calling The Prodigal, based on the story of the prodigal son. Now, I'm picturing this to be a six-week series because I love the depth of the story, and I just think, you know, six weeks is appropriate. But wrap your head around this for a second. If it is six weeks, it will lead us all the way up to Thanksgiving, which means our next series, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Like, uh, we won't have a series about Santa Claus, but we'll have a, like, it's, it's, it's a Christmas series. So this is why I stick to three and four weeks, because time flies when you do long series. Not when you're having fun, but when you do long series as a preacher, um, time flies when you do long series. And so um, before we get into the prodigal, I thought, you know, I should let you know that the majority of the information that I'm, that um I'm giving you comes from this book called The Cross and the Prodigal by Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Dr. Kenneth Bailey was a Presbyterian pastor that lived in the Middle East for a long time. Uh, He was a professor over there, and he just, um, he was an amazing, amazing brother in Christ that is with Jesus now, Um, but he absolutely just explains the prodigal in ways that I didn't understand before, and The reason I love this story so much is because of its depth. And when I discovered the depth of the prodigal son, I realized that there's not just depth in the prodigal son story. There's depth in every story in God's word. And, And so what it made me realize was that I really do love this book. Like this is the book that will light the path for me to live And when I follow it, it pierces my soul and spirit, and it's an absolutely amazing living book. 
Like, can you, like, just, just wrap your mind around the fact that there are thousands of churches, maybe even millions of churches across the world that use this book, and everyone's saying something different. Um, hopefully, it's based on this book, right? I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole nother, whole nother animal. But this book is so precious, and I hope that we fall in love with God's book God's word um, during this series. The story of the prodigal son, it's, it's a story about rescue. It's a story about redemption. It's a story about repentance, and it's a story about rejoicing. Now, those are four, um, four R words that I came up with just last message. I don't even think the 8 a.m. got those four, word, four R words. You can tell I'm a preacher because I'm giving you four. Like, it just came to me like that. Um, Restoration, restoring, rescue, and repentance, it, it's all right here yeah. in the story of the prodigal son. Um, it's found in Luke chapter 15. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I hope you brought your Bible. Um, I hope that you have a Bible, and I hope that you brought it. Uh, everyone, I always, you know, we, I always say everyone has one of these, Right? But this one is mine, right? This is mine. And so that's why it's so important for you to have your own copy of the scriptures. Um, Before we read Luke 15, just a quick recap. The prodigal son is a parable. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three of them, three parables. And the three parables that he tells are the lost sheep, the lost coin, And the lost son. A parable, if you remember from last week, is a a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. All three of these earthly stories have one heavenly meaning. And we're going to get to that today. But before we do, I want to ask the Father to to speak to us. Let's do that. Father... um, You indeed are holy. Father, you're set apart. You're separate. You're other than. And God, because you are set apart, you've also desired us to be set apart with you. Father, as we align ourselves with who you are, in your word you teach us who you are. So, God, we jump on the operating room of heaven this morning, the operating table of heaven, and we ask that you would use the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God to penetrate our soul and spirit, piercing our soul and spirit, dividing them, showing us the difference between the two. God, I love you so, so much. I thank you for what you've done this day. I pray for energy. I pray for clarity of voice, and I just pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week's big idea was that we, so as we talked about parables, we, we read the story about the landowner that owned land and hired workers throughout the entire day, and he called them all in, and at the end of the day, he brought them all in to pay them, and when he did, he paid them all the same wage, regardless of how long they worked. If they worked for one hour or if they worked all day, he paid them the same amount. And the guys that worked at the end of the day, all day long, they go, wait a minute, it's not fair. 
And oftentimes we look at God like he's not fair, but the truth is, is that he pays us all the same. God doesn't see ranking systems the way that we see. And so we talked about how the only contract that God desires is one of faithfulness. That's really important to understand as we get into the story of the prodigal son. He just wants your heart. He just wants you to be faithful because he is faithful. So as we get into the prodigal son story, we have to understand the reason that Jesus is using the story of the prodigal son and also the lost sheep and the lost coin. You have to understand why he's telling the story. To understand it, you got to go to verse 1. Let's go to verse 1 and 2. It says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, notorious sinners, often came and listened to Jesus teach. But that wasn't the problem. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. What were they complaining about? That he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How dare he eat with such notorious sinners? In order to understand Luke 15, it's super important to acknowledge the characters in the story. All three characters are listed in verses 1 and 2. Do you see them? The first group of people are the Pharisees. The second are the irreligious sinners. Now, it's really important that I use the word irreligious. I tried to get away from it because I don't really like the word. I don't, I don't even like the word religious. But irreligious is really important because you have to understand that there are Two, four, two groups of sinners in the story. One we call Pharisees. The other we call sinners. They're both sinners. The religious and the irreligious. Then the third one in the story, third character, is, of course, Jesus. He is the most important character. Now, why was it such a big deal that Jesus was eating with these notorious sinners. Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament, anytime tax collectors are mentioned, they're mentioned with notorious sinners? <laughs> like, when I think of notorious sinners, mom, dad, cover your, your kids' ears if they're in here. Hopefully they're in kids' church because that's where they belong. Notorious sinners are like murderers and rapists and pedophiles and people that like everyone knows that they're sinners, like they're evil people. And that's the group of people that tax collectors are associated with, that Pharisees like call, like they're like, how can you eat with these awful people? Why are tax collectors such evil people. Well, in order to understand that, we have to understand Eastern culture. And you have to understand specifically the history of what, what happened when Jesus was alive in, the, in, in Israel or in the Holy Land. So 
Tax collectors, another word for this is tax farmers. If you think of tax farmers, they were people that would collect taxes, obviously. But if you just look at it like that, then you don't understand. You don't, you don't, you don't fully get a picture of why these people were hated. You see, tax farmers would make a bid with Rome that, hey, we, we're, we're going to charge this amount. And, and if we, like, so that we can um, represent this area, like, we want to charge this amount of people, this amount, this percentage of, of the money that they have. And they would determine the rate that they're going to charge, and they would present that to Rome. Now, what would happen is Rome had its rate. It was set in stone, like this, like, you've got to pay Rome 2% or whatever it was, right? Well, then the Tax farmers would go to Rome and say, we're going to charge them um, 5%, and we're going to give you your two, we're going to take our three. And so they would get theirs, and, and they would rake it up so that, they, so that they got their money. Now, after the first service this morning, my wife pointed out to me, I've got to give her credit, she pointed out to me that um, in, our, in our reading with the Bible recap in Tara Lee Cobble, which m- many of you are, are, are reading it with us, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you are. If you're not, then you're welcome to join us. One of the things that Tara Lee pointed out this last week was that the reason tax collectors were seen as such awful people was not just because they were robbing the people blind, but also because of what Rome would use the money for. You see, Rome would use the money to oppress the children of Israel. So the, the money that the children of Israel were paying was, was just going to, to torture them. And so it wasn't just that they were taking money that, from these people, but it was also they were giving it to Rome. Now, what you have to understand is that a Jew a good Jew wouldn't do that to their people unless they're a bad Jew. In other words, unless they're a traitor. So the Jews that were tax collectors were really bad people. We have to understand the context of why these people are hated and who they are. And so then the question is, who are these Pharisees? Who are these people that make this accusation against Jesus? Well, Pharisees were a a sect of of Judaism, and they would see themselves as important. They they had this personal piety about them. They They were very zealous about their relationship with God, even though they were far from God. So they were hypocritical, should I say. But it wasn't so much their hypocrisy as much as it was how they saw themselves. You see, they saw themselves as pillars of the house of Israel. They were the, they were the ones that supported the house. They were the ones that were most important in their own eyes. Jesus talked about them in Mark chapter 7. He said the worship, they, oh, sorry, their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They make up these ideas. That's, listen, that's why it's so important to know God's word. Because there are preachers that will make up ideas that are far from God. 
And so these, these guys, these Pharisees, they thought themselves to be more important than they were. So what exactly is the complaint? What, what are they complaining about? Well, they're complaining about the fact that Jesus even ate with them. Jesus even eats with these people, these awful traitors. What was the big deal about eating with someone? Well, we don't understand that in Western eyes. I, I, think, I think American culture, we don't understand the value of breaking bread with somebody. You see, as Jesus ate with sinners, he would welcome them into his fellowship, receiving them as brothers and sisters. It was family. And Jesus received these people as brothers and sisters. This was a major indictment on Jesus. So what is Jesus' reaction? Well, he tells them two stories. I'm sorry, three stories. We're only going to look at two of them today, by the way. We're not even going to, listen, the series is called The Prodigal. We're not even going to get to The Prodigal Son yet this morning. We're just going to look at the first two stories. Because it's really important for the prodigal, for the story of the prodigal son. So what, what's the point? Why is Jesus telling these three stories? What's his big idea? Well, it's our big idea for today. The big idea for today is this. Rejoice. Jesus receives sinners, period. Rejoice. Jesus receives sinners. Because Jesus receives sinners, I can sit at his table. Boy, I like the 11 o'clock. Rejoice because Jesus receives sinners. I'm there. You're there. We dine at the table of a king that welcomes us as brothers and sisters. I'm glad it makes the 11 o'clock shout. I tell you what. The beauty of the stories that Jesus tells helps us understand who the Father is. That he receives us into his family. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament that rescues his kids and says, come and eat with me. So the first story is the story of the lost sheep. Now, remember the three characters in the story, Pharisees, irreligious sinners, and Jesus, those three characters are seen throughout all three, all three stories. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, the story that Jesus tells shocks the Pharisees. You see, 
Shepherds in the Middle East in this day especially were poor people. How many sheep did this guy have? A hundred. A hundred sheep cost a lot of money. What we don't realize is that the shepherd that Jesus is talking about in this story, in context, is very wealthy. So this just blows the mind of the Pharisees. They're like, but shepherds don't own a hundred sheep. But a scholar or a Pharisee would. They would have owned a hundred sheep. And if they owned a hundred sheep, guess who they would hire to tend those sheep? A shepherd. And so what we don't realize is that the Pharisees would have expected a completely different story. This is what the story would have sounded like, according to Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Which of you owning a hundred sheep, if you received a report that one was lost, would not send a servant to the shepherd responsible and threaten to fire him if he didn't find the sheep. But that's not what Jesus says. He tells a story about a good shepherd. And in this story, he reframes the way the Pharisees see Psalm chapter 23. The shepherd psalm. You all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He make me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. He's reframing the way they think. Because he is the shepherd in the story. Not them. What we often forget is the fact that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and get the one. And we often turn our eyes to the one. Right? We, we find the value in the one because that's what God is telling us. But we lose the value of the 99. You see, the story to the Pharisees would have taught them that God also values them because he was willing to leave them to go rescue the one. And the fact that God is willing to go after the one gives security to the 99. It helps them realize that my God would do the same thing for me. Verse 6. Uh, verse 5, sorry, I skipped it, but it's too important to skip. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Now, he carried it on his shoulders, but how did he carry it on his shoulders? How? Joyfully. What we often forget, or what we often skim over because it's only one verse, what we often don't realize is that the shepherd had worked 
all day searching for the, for the sheep. He had gone up hills and valleys and looked and looked and looked, and he was tired, and he got to the sheep, and he picked the sheep up. First, he wrapped his legs. Actually, first, he examined the legs to make sure none of them were broken, and if they were broken, then he would tend to it and make sure it was okay. Then he would wrap it, and then he would pick it up, and we would put it on his shoulders, and he would walk back through the hills and the valleys. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a picture of what restoration is. So oftentimes, we think that we come to Jesus, we give him our heart, and that's the end. We've got our ticket to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, that is where the beginning is. There is a restoration that takes place. That you have to be picked up, put on shoulders, and carried back to the 99. Carried back home to where you belong. This is discipleship. This is why it's so important that we don't just come to Jesus, repent from our sins, come to him, and stay right there. We have to get going. But guess where we go? Where someone else takes us. You cannot come to Jesus and leave it there. You have to go and tell somebody, help me understand this book because I can't understand it on my own. We need people to pick us up on their shoulders and carry us back to the one that loves us and cares for us the most. So if you're interested in discipleship, we've we're, starting a, we're in the middle of starting a process of discipleship. And I would love to tell you more about it. Just stop by our next steps after service and they'll let me know that you're interested in that. Verse 6, read verse 6 with me. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Remember our big idea. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and, is re- and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Celebration, shall I say, rejoicing is the theme of all three stories. The Pharisees were complaining. Jesus says, we don't complain, we rejoice. Now, oftentimes, we're like, I'm like, who is this community that's coming to celebrate? And what you have to understand is that because shepherds wouldn't own the sheep oftentimes, and the Pharisees would, or the community around them would, the people in the story that are coming to celebrate are probably the owners of the sheep. The people that value the sheep because the lost sheep is found. I see four things about God in this story. Number one, I see that he accepts responsibility for the lost. 
God accepts the responsibility and the loss. You know why? Because God knows he's holy. And he also knows that you're not. He doesn't expect you to be holy without his son, Jesus. And so he accepts the responsibility by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins to bring us back home. He accepts the responsibility for the loss, but he also searches without counting the cost. He didn't think about all the money he would lose if he loses the 99. He goes after the one. He rejoices in the burden of the restoration, the burden of restoration. It was joyful that, joyfully that he put the sheep on his shoulders. Finally, he rejoices with the community at the success of the restoration. Not because of the sheep, but because of the shepherd. Three characters in the story. Jesus was the shepherd. The Pharisees were the 99. And the sinners, the irreligious sinners, were the one. One more thing about this story. Maybe I should call it big idea number two, but I'm not going to because I gave you two big ideas last week, and I didn't think you could handle it on a week that we were going to three services. So I couldn't give you six big ideas over throughout the day. I couldn't, just, I couldn't preach six of them, so I'll just, I'll just stick to, to the, two, the three. It's this, this idea. Repentance is not work which earns our rescue. Repentance doesn't earn your rescue. Repentance is when a sinner accepts being found. It's not, we don't repent to earn right standing with God. We repent because he found us. So oftentimes, repentance gets this bad idea, this bad picture Because we think that it's work and we think that we have to change and we have to be this person that we don't know that we can be. We think that we have to clean ourselves up before we get in the shower. That's not repentance. Repentance is allowing Jesus to clean you up, rejoicing in the fact that you've been found. That's repentance. The whole work of changing, that's restoration. There's a difference. That's just story number one, ladies and gentlemen. Story number two is the lost coin. Next week, we'll get to story number three. The lost coin, it's told in verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house in search of it carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. 
Now, I've never lost something that I called my friends and family and said, rejoice with me and come over to my house for a party because I found it. <laughs> and I have, we've lost my wife's wedding rings for three months. That's a story for another Sunday. But I didn't call my friends and family and say, come rejoice with, with a party. And those were worth a lot of money. Verse 10, in the same way, there's joy in presence of God, in the presence of God and his angels, when even one sinner repents. If Jesus is the good shepherd in story number one, who is Jesus in story number two? He's the good woman. You want to talk about valuing women in church? Jesus valued them so much that he used one of them as a picture of who he is. He's a good shepherd, and he's the good woman. Some things to point out in this story. Poor women in the Middle East would take all their worldly possessions, silver and gold, and put them in a bag, and then they'd tie them around their neck. They'd hold them there so they were close all their worldly possessions. And every day, they would get into the bag before the day would start, and they would pull out what they would need for the day. Some days were, was more than others. This particular day, this woman has taken out one silver coin. The Greek word here used is the word drachma. Drachma, a drachma, was worth 4.3 grams of silver. The reason that's significant is because 4.3 grams of silver in this day was one day's worth of wage. So at the beginning of the day, the woman puts the coin in the bag and then the, day, the day's um, money that she would use, she would hold in, another, in a separate bag, not tied around her neck, and she would carry that with her because she didn't want to get out the, the, the big bag everywhere she went. But this woman doesn't tie the bag tight enough. And she loses that day's worth of wage. She would have been extremely shameful that she lost a full day's wage. No kidding. She called all of her friends when she found it. It was valuable to her. Notice the woman loses the coin in the house. This is really important for Jesus' story because he's talking to the Pharisees who believe that they are the pillar of the house of Israel. The woman knows that the coin is inside the house because you know why? She hasn't gone anywhere that day. When Tanya lost her rings, we're like, where did you go? 
she thought she, she went tanning. We went to the tanning place. You know why? Because we thought they might be there. We went everywhere. She knows this coin is in her house. So she looks in the house and she finds it. Now, it's also important to point out that houses in the Middle East in this day would have been dark enough that you would have had to light a lamp even in the daylight because the house was so dark. Things we miss in Western context. The reason it's important to acknowledge that the coin is in the house is because this would communicate to the Pharisees that even people of the house of Israel can be far from God. Even Jews are lost. Is what Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about. They're lost in the house. So, the lost sheep, one, sorry, 100 sheep, one was lost in the wilderness. 10 coins, one was lost in the house. Next week, we're going to talk about two sons. Both were lost from the circle. of the Father's love. We'll get to that next week. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Three characters in this story. Pharisees, irreligious sinners, and Jesus. I believe that all three characters are in the room today. I believe Jesus is here. His spirit is here. I believe that there are probably Pharisees here that think you're religious, that think you're important, think you got it all figured out. There's also people that are far from God that wouldn't consider themselves religious at all. The thing that I find very interesting about Pharisees and sinners is that they're both sinners. The thing that we'll see as we get into the story of the prodigal son is it's both the younger son and the older son that are sinners. The only difference is if you're restored to the father or not. So that's the question. Are you a sinner that sits at the table of Jesus because he has restored you into his relationship? Do you sit at the table? If you don't, we just want to pull out the chair and say, come and have a seat. We've got our our next steps area that's open that you can go and you can ask and you can discover what your next step is. But if, if you just need to sit at the table, I want to help you with that. If you close your eyes, bow your heads. If you need to sit down at the table of God, 
Would you say, God, I know I've done wrong. I know I've sinned. And because of my sin, I know that I'm lost. But God, I thank you that when I was lost, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to find me, to rescue me and save me from my sin, to give me a seat at your table. I just want to sit with you today, God. Come into my life. Make me new and help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, something that's really important is that once the shepherd found the sheep, he picked the sheep up and he put them on his shoulders. We would love to do that with you. We would love to pick you up and to put you on our shoulders and to carry you to the one that can care for you better than we can. But the only way we can do that is if you fill out that card in front of you and just mark down on there, I've committed to following Jesus. Drop it in a black box or take it to the next steps room when we're done with here. But I'm so glad you came to church today. Are you glad you came to church this morning? We're going to sing a song. We did it, guys. We did it. Three services. Great job. Yes. 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 Have a good week.